Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer news, rockin' America. Soccer news. Rockin' America Featuring Pasadena Talking about soccer lots Hello and welcome to Soccer New Rockin' America Featuring Person Noob And uh, somebody desperately trying to sound like Jack Black in the background there Not sure it's working out But hey, they say that the opening is supposed to set the tone for the show And that really does I mean, don't get me wrong We're going to do some real uh, nerding out on geography And learning about soccer clubs and tournaments from all over the world Our rule is that if it's important where it's being played We don't care if it's in a microstates top league or if it is in the English Premier League, we are going to cover it. Major tournament matches, too, and I believe eight of our ten main matches this week are all trophy matches. Tis the season, both in Europe and over here in uh, parts of our region, CONCACAF. Plus, we have a very special guest, Jonathan All of uh, St. Louis Public Radio, who is a, a giant uh City fan in St. Louis, as well as being a fan and even part owner of AFC Wimbledon. We will learn all about that and their, uh, and get a mini preview out of him, basically, as our conversation goes on for the upcoming uh, important match between St. Louis City and Vancouver Whitecaps coming up this weekend. Matches this week will cover from the dates uh, Friday through Thursday. That would be uh, May 26th through June 1. Yeah, we're getting full on into summer. And so, with no further ado, let's drive right in with March number one. We start our journey on Friday in the States and on the gal side of the ball. The top flight in the U.S. is called the NWSL. The top six of the 12 teams will get to go to the domestic playoffs. The top two will get a bye into the semifinals. Hopefully not too far away in the future, there will be a women's CONCACAF Champions League for them to earn tournament berths into. But as of this point, there is not. Your matchup, number three, San Diego Wave, taking on current second-best Portland Thorns. They're part of a three-way tie for fourth place on points in the table with Washington Spirit. They all trail Gotham by a single point. The series between these two particular teams, Portland, have a slide edge, having accrued a 3-1-2 and two record. We'll talk about San Diego Wave first. They play on the San Diego State campus at a stadium called Snapdragon. Love it. Last year, they finished in third place their inaugural year, and they made it all the way to the semifinals of the playoffs. This year, the defense has been very average. The offense has been exquisite. They're getting almost two goals per match, and they have the second-best overall goal differential. Tied for number one in league scoring, no surprise with them, Alex Morgan. She was 
uh, incredible last year as well. She's also tied for third in assists in the league with a couple of those and is second best in goals plus assists. According to a uh, phone app that I like, FootMob, or FootMob, depending on how you want to pronounce it, she is the second best statistical player in the league overall. Team's current form, they have won two straight matches with a 5-0 gold differential, and impressively, both of those wins were on the road. Now, Portland, they're a young club, just not as young, founded in 2012, were the Thorns, and yet they've already managed to win the league title three different times, and they are your defending champions. So this is a really critical matchup for San Diego. Twice they've also won uh, what in most leagues is called the Supporters' Shield. Last time they won that was 2021. Interesting side note, the two years that they won that, they did not go on to win the playoff title. Uh, Their defense is pretty average as well, but they've got the number one offense by quite a bit, getting two and a half goals per match. So we're looking for a shootout in this one. Should be very entertaining. I'm not seeing it on the DV schedule yet, but I'm hoping Paramount Plus will end up picking this one up. They get a lot of games from this particular league. Key players to look for. With With San Diego, it's all Alex Morgan all the time. Uh, Portland has a few stars you can watch for. The number one player in the league is probably Sophie Smith. She plays center forward for them. She's number one in goals plus assists with nine. But a couple other people you want to look for. Number one in accurate passes per 90, Emily Menges. She is their center back who's been here her entire career, except for one year that she did with Melbourne Victory. And that might have actually just been between national uh, women's soccer league seasons. Number one in successful tackles per 90 by a factor of 200%, getting nearly seven a game on average. Yikes, don't get in her way. Reina Reyes, Mexican right back. This is her first year as a pro as well. Uh, She's also number one, by the way, in interceptions by 50%, getting nearly five of those per match on average. So a real superstar on the defensive side of the ball there. Now, the team's current form, their 4-0 win over a very hapless right now Chicago Fire snapped a three-match winless streak, and yet here they are still near the top of the league. They conceded eight goals over those losses. Once again, I say, look for a shootout here. Match number B. There are oh so many FA Cups each week this particular time of year. How does one choose just one? That was that was our goal anyway, and the one we decided to go with comes from a microstate in Europe. But hey, it's important where it's being played. There's a Europa Conference League berth on the line in Luxembourg. This is going to be played in Luxembourg City, which is a neutral site for these two teams. Your matchup from the second division, that's the reason we picked this one, Mariska Mersch versus a, a team that I think I've pronounced Differdange in the past, Differdange 03. But I also know that in Luxembourg, it can also be uh, Deferde, from what I have seen, or Deferdeng. Now, Mariska Mersch, first of all, Mersch is a town and a commune in the very central part of the country. Population of the commune is uh, maybe 10,000 people. Amongst a couple different things, it's very famous for its national literature center. It's sort of the big archive of the country. Uh, They finished second best in the division of honor, the second division this year. So they are being automatically promoted to the top flight for next year. They've been very well balanced on the league season. They had the third best offense and the second best defense. It was a very high scoring league, second best there yet. They were giving up just shy of one and a half goals per match. 
Still, they had the second best overall goal differential. In fact, there were six clubs that were scoring more than two goals uh, per game on average. It's like they were trying to catch up with the uh, keep up with the German Bundesliga, one of the highest scoring big leagues in Europe, if not the highest scoring, maybe. They had to enter the cup all the way back at the second round, a round of 64. So they had a long uh, row to hoe. Uh, they beat Division One side Wilts in the quarterfinal 3-1. And then the next round had to face another top flight National League side in U.S. Mondorf and beat them 2-1. to one. So they got a little bit lucky and they got to uh, host both games because that's determined, I believe, by random draw. But you still got to show up and get the wins. And they really uh, slayed a couple of giants there, at least as such things are measured in Luxembourg. And now I'll use the French, uh, Differdange 03. Differdange is the third biggest city in the country, 26,000 people there. It's in the southwest portion, very close to the French and Belgian borders. Give you a little bit of perspective there. Big steel industry happenings here. That's where they get their money economically. Always like to nerd out a little bit geographically. The club is fairly unfounded in 2003, but it was simply a merger of two other, uh, obviously much older teams. They have won three league titles in their current form, 2018-19, the most recent one. They also got to play in the Europa Conference League this year, the tertiary, third best international tournament for clubs in Europe, lost in the first qualifying round. 2011-12, they made the Europa League playoff round just shy of the group stage. And that is the best they've ever done. Interestingly, they had lost to a Greek club on the pitch the round before, but that club had the win taken away as part of investigation into corruption. They decided to kick them out of this tournament. And that meant that Differdange got to play PSG out of France. Yes, the mighty ones. And they beat them and beat them fairly handily. But what a once-in-a-lifetime experience for those players to say that they got to play PSG. They finished in sixth place in the national division, so this is their only shot at international play this year. They were a little bit better on offense, getting over two goals per match. Top seven defense was all. On the scoring leaderboard for them, Angolan attacker Erico had 11 goals on the season. I didn't make a note of which country, but just to give you a little bit of a lens into the level of talent uh, in a place like Luxembourg, the last club that he was left with before coming over here is Real SC, which I believe is in Spain, maybe Portugal, but regardless, a Division Three team just the same. Match number three. And so amazingly, once again, we've actually found another guest. We, we've had our Cipriot Frantasos on many a time, but this time we've got somebody from right here in America, which actually for a change is something related to the name of the show, something we rarely uh, stick to. Jonathan All. Welcome to Soccer Noob Rocket America. I, I want to make sure that everyone knows that I'm here under protest because I was promised that person noob would be here and they're not and there's no person noob. So I, you know, uh, I will I will complete my obligation, but it is under protest that I filed <laughs> with the league office. I which which league we cover every single one in the world top line it's actually the new super league I know they don't exist yet but I've already filed a grievance oh the new UEFA the new UEFA Champions League format I think we can safely call that super league they're all having the last laugh on the you know everybody else I don't think anyone's laughing but (laughs) I'm laughing fair play as as your English listeners would 
<laughs> fair play fair play. that's right english listeners so now jonathan you are you are based in missouri working for i don't know the exact nomenclature st louis public radio is that right yep i'm an npr guy all righty as as is my wife doing everything you all have known each other for a very long time as you and i have as well having met on the tournament scrabble scene yep but boy, that that's a whole different show that might replace this one someday if we don't get more listeners eventually. Let's talk about how fives are more important than the fours for the burgeoning player in the symmetry of a board. Now, you know what? I'm getting a I'm getting something from my producer and being told that's a worse idea than normal, as if I have an earpiece. Because I have no idea what you're talking about. Fours and fives, you've already forgotten Scrabble. Okay. Uh- <laughs> Oh, I I thought we were talking soccer. I'm thinking like what for I'm thinking like what tactic is fives and fours? And, but oh, you were talking about Scrabble. You don't know the soccer. fives and fours tactic? No, I'll... <laughs> no wonder I always beat your butt. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you are ba- you are based here in the states, and whereabouts yes. are you for the hundred miles? hundred miles from St. Louis which is 100 miles away from St. Louis City SC, the newest addition to MLS. Um, And I I decided well before they even had their first match um, earlier this year that I was going to be a supporter. So I am I I am I fully jumped on the bandwagon even before their amazing start winning their first five games. Yeah, that really was a start. And they've had, you know, some hiccups along the way, like every single team would. But they're still right there in the top three of the West. Now I do, I don't want to say call you out. That might be a little bit strong, but you are a Chicago native and a lifelong Cubs fan. I'm assuming that you have not brought yourself to switch allegiances when it comes to baseball. Correct. City SC is the only St. Louis team I will root for. Gotcha. Now hockey, do you have a preference? We've never talked hockey. Well, I, I I, kind of a a Blackhawks fan, but but they tanked so badly. I'm I'm just so opposed to tanking and the bears and the Blackhawks both did it kind of on purpose to try to get better draft picks. And uh, I'm just not a fan of that, which is why I love relegation. Oh God. I, <laughs> I love me some relegation. Yes. Promotion relegation. It will uh, not in our lifetimes or probably our children's lifetimes come to MLS. Cause why would they risk penalizing themselves the league? I don't think has the power to do it, but it certainly would add a lot more drama here on this show. Our third and final bonus match every week is the match of disappointed. And we have a sounder of Kevin Sorbo yelling about it, which just adds to well, the drama. Now the, the other team that I i am a supporter of in addition to city SC is AFC Wimbledon. Uh, which currently just narrowly avoided relegation out of League Two, so they'll be back in League Two next year, and uh, and and so I I suffered a relegation with Wimbledon, and they were so close to being out of full time football in the English Football League, but they did survive, um, and they will be back in League Two, and hopefully uh, they will play better next season and. Uh, and hey, they get to play Wrexham twice. So I was going to say they almost, uh, if they had gone down, they would have missed uh, the uh, Rob McElhenney, uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, Wrexham team. Uh, well, you know, switching places with them basically down to the Vanarama National League. Now the the National League is professional. Is that correct, or is it semi pro? Well, okay. So in theory, it's supposed to be semi pro. Is that the League Two is the lowest league um, in English football of full time professional uh, football? But there are a few national conference teams that do pay their players full time. And, you know, Wrexham was one of them. Knox, Knox County was the other one. 
Um, and there might be one or two more, but the vast majority of that between the fourth and fifth tier of English football between League Two and the National Conference is generally the break point between full time and part time. Right. Even though I, and I think what originally confused me is the National League is national in scope by name, or at least the top division, the fifth tier. I know that yeah. they've got other tiers below that that are part of that. Yeah, you know, the substructure sixth, of the football. Tier, yeah, the sixth tier is conference north and conference south. Right. Oh, so, yeah. It, but <laughs> man, it's so complicated. But I, I do love it, and and, I, and really focusing on one team does make it a lot easier. But right, let's. And, talk, yeah. And so, how did you come to be an AFC Wimbledon fan, and for how long have you been doing that? Oh gosh. Okay. So, um, the story on that is, uh, years ago, um. Well, Wimbledon FC had been uh, a team that had been around for, gosh, 100 years, maybe. Um, and and they had played as high as what was the Premier League before there was a Premier League. Right. Uh, South London. And uh, the team was purchased and uh, moved to Milton Keynes. And the owner of uh, the club thought that all of the uh, Wimbledon fans would just continue to be fans of this club, even though he moved them to Milton Keynes. And he even had the audacity to uh, name the team Milton Keynes uh, and uh, the Milton Keynes Dons. I was just going to ask if that was yeah. the Mil I was familiar with Milton Keynes Dons, but sometimes there are multiple clubs. And well, although I, I, I hope that there, I hope that uh, you don't have a lot of Wimbledon fans because it's actually a cardinal sin to even refer to them with that name. The the we, we Wimbledon fans return refer to that club as either the franchise or the franchise currently plying its trade in Milton Keynes. <laughs> um, anyway, so they moved the club and the fans said, no, no, we're we, we're going to start our own club. And uh, F.A. kind of smiled and said, yeah, whatever. Um, so the fans got together and they started a Phoenix club, started in the ninth tier of English football. The tryouts for the first part time version club version of this were held in a public park and they started a team and they slowly climbed up the ranks and they got all the way into league one. Um, yeah. How long did that, how long did that journey take or do you, nine do you years. took nine that? years? Oh, the team's only been around that long. I did not That's realize that this well, nine years to get well, nine years to get into, uh, to get into league football and then they've scuffled the last few years. So, I mean, in their current iteration, they have been around for, um, gosh, I don't know, maybe 12 years or something. Okay. Like that. Gotcha. So not all that much longer. No, no, it, it, it really has been an amazing story. Anyway, the author, John Green, who you may know from, uh, the fault in our stars and other light classics. Um, he, uh, he and his online community known as nerd fighters, uh, really got behind AFC Wimbledon, and that's kind of how I got exposed to them. So then I started following them. I I be, joined the Don's Trust, so I am one of the part owners um, of the of the club. So that that is how I got into AFC Wimbledon. Is the club a hundred percent fan owned? Yeah, well, it's like eighty some odd percent. I think they, I, they there's there's a lot of debate. You know, of a fan owned club, they're talking about maybe trying to go into a 50% plus one fan ownership to get more outside money invested. Sure, kind of do um, the German model. Yeah, the German model is definitely Ooh. what people have said. So, um, it, it, it is, yeah, right now it is, I think, 75, 80% fan owned. Um, so, oh, I, 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 it, it, uh, we started 20 years ago. The current gotcha. iteration of AFC Wimbledon started in May of 2002. All righty. 
That's now does your soccer background and I'm embarrassed to have to ask this because right. I, I don't I wasn't aware in all the all the years that we were uh you know sharing geography more closely and seeing each other on the Scrabble circuit and all of that. Um I don't remember soccer ever getting discussed. Of course, I was not following soccer at the time. What is your background in the sport, if anything? <laughs> um, I mean, almost none. I you know, really my first exposure to soccer at all was um, when I lived in Peoria, I played on a park district league made up of people who worked in the broadcast media in Peoria, Illinois. Our team was called the Airwaves. Um, I played center back <laughs> and, uh, um, th that, that was like, I, that's how I learned soccer was actually by playing it as an adult. Um, and then, you know, I, it was kind of something that was, you know, like most Americans, when the World Cup came around, I pretended that I liked soccer for, you know, a couple months um, sure. and then I kind of forgot it. But then when uh, re listening to John Green talk about AFC Wimbledon, I that's when I really started following it. So I, I think I've been an intense soccer slash football fan for maybe four or five years. OK, well, uh, you know, and not that it matters in the big scheme of things, but I'm glad to hear about this because I thought, you know, maybe there's this deep, dark soccer secret that Jonathan all has had, you know, for his entire life. So your your story is not entirely similar to mine. And yet the fact that you are a, uh, you know, not that we are old doddering men, maybe just doddering um <laughs> You know, that we, uh, you didn't grow up as a youth player. I played one summer for a handful of weeks, YMCA. I remember nothing, almost literally of it, except that our t-shirts were yellow and then came to start doing a blog that's turned into a podcast by losing a bet. And so <laughs> here we yeah, are that, now. That, that's the way most things go, isn't it? Oh, uh, well, I know that's how everybody ends up in broadcasting. I'm back that's in true. it once again. I'm sure your story of getting in broadcasting professionally is an accident. I know very few people who did it on purpose. And when you're <laughs> in America, the soccer story can go that particular way as well. All right. So our M we always did one MLS feature game. Yep. Per week on this show, there weren't any really standout matches in terms of the table, in my opinion, this particular week. And so the St. Louis-Vancouver match looked as tantalizing as anything else. What are what are your thoughts on how big a match this is for St. Louis, both in, well, whether in terms of the table or, yeah. or, or in terms of just internal play and how they're doing lately in form? Okay, so they started the season uh, five wins, no losses. Then in their next seven, they did two wins, one draw, four losses. So they're they're trying to figure out where they are now. Last week, they absolutely devastated Kansas City, which was four nil, which was just a beautiful game to watch. But what was important about that is that they really changed form. They changed tactics last week. They had been doing a pretty standard four four two. Um, but last week they went to a, a four, two, three, one, uh, because their, their main striker, João Klaus, the Brazilian, um, has been injured and they have really struggled scoring goals since he's been injured. So they, uh, they, they moved, uh, Edward Leuven, who is uh, just a dynamic midfielder, man, this guy's amazing. Um, they moved him back and they, so they kind of went with two, uh, defensive midfielders and then three up top and then a single striker up front. And that that tactic completely opened up their game and they were able to and they they struggled scoring goals, but they were able to lay down four on Kansas City. So I think for City SC, this week's game is really a 
was that a fluke that they were able to? to is that just that how well? bad Kansas City is for the second year in a row? <laughs> well, okay, but leading into last week's match, Kansas City had been looking a lot better and had played pretty well. Okay, um, so it, it, it was yeah. They are definitely not. Um, they are definitely not a great team, but. I didn't expect that much of a victory. So for for City SC, I think they really they really would love to do well against Vancouver um, to show that it wasn't an aberration and they are getting back closer to that form that they had early in the season that led to that to that five uh, game win streak. So I think it's very important to them. I don't think Zhao Klaus is going to be back. If he is, he's certainly not going to be fit and is certainly not going to be able to go. Um, I mean, he, my bet would be maybe bench and maybe, you know, come on for 10, 15 minutes at the end, um, if at all. So I think that they're probably going to do a tactic similar to what they did against Kansas city. Vancouver has struggled a little bit. They're not great, but they, they, it's really interesting. They attack very well. And the, the other thing that's really interesting about Vancouver, they are very susceptible um, to giving up goals on set pieces, and so is St. Louis. So it's going to be, <laughs> I, I think both sides are going to try to avoid set pieces as much as possible. Uh, I was going to say, it seems like it should be a, a defensive affair, uh, looking at, oh, looking at some of the general oh. stats, although Vancouver is this year from what i'm looking at a little bit better on offense and defense it's not a particularly high scoring conference uh this year um who do you see uh getting the goals in non-peace situations though you mentioned joe klaus potentially not being able to play or not being able to contribute a great deal who it's not part of my research who should we who can we look for for watching this game live to step up on the offensive end that's that's a great point um i think that uh uh, uh, Giacchini is our, our is city striker. Uh, he scored uh, against Kansas city and being up top alone in the, in that, uh, formation and pushing up some of their midfielders. I think that Giacchini definitely looks to score. And then Indiana Vasilev, uh, who is a midfielder that they kind of played in a 10 kind of position uh, against Kansas city. He had a brace. Um, uh, against Kansas City and looked really good doing it. Um, you know, uh, so I think those would probably be your your big uh, scoring threats. Edward Leuven, even though they have him playing in more of a defensive midfielder position, the guy's right leg is like a cannon and he is not afraid to take a, a 20, 30 yard shot. You know, it even if it, it, it you'd, you think you wouldn't have much of a shot to make it. He's not afraid to uncork one of those. And I think that he's always a threat as well. He's got, at least on paper from what I uh, looked at heading into this interview, he's got, you know, I know he's got the three goals, three assists on the year. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that he makes a lot of his own, makes a lot of his own offense. He, I know he's statistically a very good dribbler and yet actually for a central player, not much of a uh, passer in terms of accuracy. So he, he seems like the type who would like to let loose from outside the box and, and simply see what happens. Well, and city SC's game plan is to press and press hard. So even when you talk about this new formation where they've got uh, two more defensive midfielders in Leuven and probably Blom again, um, you know, those guys, they do not hesitate to move up and they do not hesitate to press and they don't hesitate to get in the mix and to try to make things happen. So um, I'll, I'll tell you, so if 
if Vancouver's going to win, what they need to do is absorb City's press and counterattack quickly. If they can absorb that press and counterattack quickly, that is how teams have been able to beat St. Louis so far this season. Um, th- I think that's going to be harder to do um, if they're if they continue to have that success uh, like they had against Kansas City uh, with their, their their new tactic. I think that that will be more difficult. The other thing is Vancouver's already played this week. The uh, oh, I don't know. It's the Canadian Cup. It's the so the Canadian teams are their national cup thing. They had a cup game this week. So and that. The, the that cup is much more important to them than the U.S. Open Cup is to most MLS teams. So I uh, American MLS teams. So I think they're going to come in on tired legs. Kansas. Yeah, they had to play one of the CPL teams, but yeah. I'm sure they still gave it their all since they're much more likely to qualify for the uh, Concacaf Champions League through that than Major League Soccer. I'm glad to see, by the way, that the Canadian teams are able to qualify through both routes. Now I think that's only fair because I know that the uh, the U.S. Open Cup winner, uh, they I don't think I'm mistaken on this. They get a Champions League berth now as well. Yeah. So and and I think that that but the point being that, you know, Vancouver's going to come in on tired legs and uh, St. Louis has been in town all week, two home games in a row, sleeping in their own beds. I think that matters. Uh, you know, I think that uh, that travel in MLS is brutal. I think that's one thing that separates it from a lot of other leagues around the world is the amount of travel that they have to do. So oh, yeah. I think having two home games in a row, I think City's going to win. And I'm not just saying that as a support supporter, but I think that they're going to, they they have everything going for them and they should be able to uh, get a good result. Yeah. Uh, minus Joel Klaus, maybe, uh, you know, even with him out of the mix, as far as I'm concerned, that at worst only, uh, equalizes the fact that Vancouver has I'm not a Brian White fan and mm-hmm. uh it seems like ever since I started following the game all I ever see is Brian White leading the yeah. league in missed chances <laughs> and so Julian Gressel setting him up and uh and Brian White not knocking them in he gets goals but he should be you know if he were a notch better he'd be uh he'd be a golden boot candidate I think before you know the other person on city that I got to mention is uh the keeper Roman Berkey who dude's a brick wall. I mean, he had a clean sheet. I mean, while we did thrash Kansas city last week, Berkey had a ton of saves. If you did, if you dig deep into the stats, I think that um, Berkey's got the best numbers in goals conceded minus AGR. And, and I think that I, I think, I think he's the best goalie in MLS by far. And, and I, he's amazing. Uh, wow. Now, that is, I, yeah, I will. I will put that out there. Now, I, I think that that he would do even better if our defense was a little more consistent. Um, but uh, we've do got yeah. Nelson coming back. He was out last game uh, from multiple yellow cards in Chicago. So hopefully he'll be back. Um, so that will help as well. But it I, sounds I, like they're helping him out some with this new uh, you know defensive rotation. If that's an or uh, formation, if that's in fact what they're going to go with, keeping continuing to keep uh, Bloom a little bit further back, who I really like. By the way, I want to circle back to him momentarily. Yeah. But well, yeah, and I mean, I think that that you know, where does the defense, like the true defensive midfielder, where does that role fit in more modern tactics? You know. Because I think that 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 is uh, you, what you're doing in midfield. You know, I think that that 
it's weird because I, I at least I'm sensing there's a lot of this this very weird combination where you want to have a ton of flexibility in the midfield, but you also want specialists as well. So, you know, whether, you know, it it's like you want an attacking midfielder and a defending midfielder, but you also want all of your midfielders to do both. And, you know, I, I don't, it, it feels like there's a lot more, ugh, I don't know, like diamonds and, you know, a lot more flexibility in midfield to try to make things happen. And I think that City, that helps them a lot because Blom, as you mentioned, great defender. Leuven can do anything. Um, if they're moving Vasilev up to do more attacking, I think that's going to help them as well. So, yeah, I, 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 I and I, I hope this doesn't come off as too much of a homer, but if there's any silver lining to Klaus being out, it's that City's depth has not been great. And if they learn how to score goals uh, across the board more and when their best players aren't available, uh, Rasmus Alm, our best winger, is also out with an injury. So, you know, I think having those guys out and forcing people to step up and learning tactics and formations that can do well when even we don't have our best 11 out there, I, I think that's that's going to be good for the team in the long if run. If a young team can play with f- flexibility formationally, that is going to keep them dangerous. And, uh, I mean, one game against Kansas City is only in exactly that, but it looks like, uh, in your opinion, I think it would be fair to say, that they looked uh, at the very least competent, if maybe not on you know bordering on comfortable, in that new formation of they have those sorts of intelligent players. Plus, with a veteran like Berkey, I don't know if he was a starter, but I know he spent seven years over with Dortmund. That's got to be a guy that knows how to, you know, assign the defense in front of him and really run things. That having that, especially while Joao Klaus is out, is just got to be a luxury very few teams have, and is borderline unheard of, I would think, when it comes to new teams. Yeah. Well, and that's, and, and you know, maybe stepping a little bit away from just the Vancouver game and talking about City's season so far, I mean, they were projected to come in last or second to last in the conference in every single preseason projection that I saw, and then they start winning five in a row. Now, they're third in the conference right now. Where are they going to end up? You know, I'm going to say they're going to make the playoffs. I, I think they're going to make the playoffs relatively comfortably. Um, I don't know how far they're going to go after that, but I think that that they they really did the right thing in getting the core of this group together. A lot of them played in, you know, they had a season of City 2, the, the second team, and a lot of these guys played that, uh, you know, played together in that season before. Yeah. the. So they're not new to St. Louis. They're home, and that's nice. I mean, to the extent that any footballer is ever home. <laughs> right. And they've got, I mean, I mentioned the guy from Dortmund and then uh, we, uh, we both mentioned Bloom and he came over from, uh, I'm going to say it's my favorite South African team, uh, e- even though I don't feel that strongly about any of them, just because I love the name Kaiser Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, predict a riot. <laughs> yeah. I had to go there. It's an easy reference to make with that team, but I don't care. I absolutely uh, love that band and I don't care oh. how out of date it is, but they've done a lot of international recruiting for such a new team. Well, is yeah. that one of the keys or what do you think the keys have been to them starting off so well in putting this team together? I'll tell you, I think I, I you know, nobody expected them to be as attack oriented as they, they are. And I think that that's why they won five in a row is I think they just caught everybody on their heels because I, I think that that it was a lot of uh, 
you know, people said, oh, well, here's an expansion team, you know, whatever. Yeah, they'll park the bus. Yeah, but yeah, and they didn't. And they they came out fighting. And I think that's also why after five games that they started losing and struggling to score goals is because everybody, now that there was some tape on them, you're like, okay, well, this is what they're going to do. And again, those teams that were able to absorb the press and counter uh, did very well and were able to limit uh, limit City's chances or either either limit them or make their chances much less uh, open and absorb that press and then counter and then they were able to to, to win games. Now I think to to Bradley Carnell, the manager's uh, credit, I think that he has started to you know. And and I don't want to put too much weight on one game against Kansas City, but he made the adjustments and they looked really good. So back to your original question, that's what I think is such an important thing about this match coming up is that City needs to win this and I think win it comfortably so that they can think, yes, we are able to make the adjustments when we have different personnel on the pitch and we are able to uh, figure out what to do and that's the way that they're going to hang around uh, for the season, make the playoffs, and maybe even surprise some people. Yeah. So uh, speaking of playoffs, let's you predict the playoffs. Let's uh, hang on to this uh, for the end of the season. Well, first I'll ask score prediction for this match, and then where do you uh, predict them finishing at the end of this at the end of the regular season? I won't make you predict the playoffs. So who can do that? <laughs> um. Okay. So I will say that St. Louis City will win two one. Two one. Um, how many on uh, set piece? How many of the three goals total on set pieces? Just for fun. Uh, one. One. Okay. I'm I'm predicting unless unless there are a couple of set piece goals, I think it'll be a little bit slower. The guy that's really impressed me for Vancouver, uh, they got a midfielder from uh, Canada who I think plays pretty good defense. Ali Ahmed. He's very very physical, and I think it'll be interesting to see how a relatively newly put together team will. Uh, you know, answer to a a young player like that who can run and run and run and treats the game a little bit like hockey. Yeah. <laughs> so. That as appropriately, um, I I think that the, yeah, I I think it'll be two one, and I think that it won't be as commanding of a victory as City would have wanted, but I do think they will win. Well, three points will be three points. Uh, where do you see them at the end of the year? Um, I'm gonna. Uh... I say I say they finish fifth in the West. Okay, so they won't be up there amongst the top four, getting to necessarily uh, host a couple of games. But you see them, as you said earlier, comfortably getting into the playoffs. I agree. A team that, that has had this kind of start, we're third of the way into the season. We're beyond. I think the you know everybody's seen the everybody's seen the fastball. You know they started throwing in the curveball. They're starting to bounce back from that a little bit and show some flexibility. So I think St. Well, Louis has yeah, and, a season in store. And I think it's a tough conference. I mean, I think that, you know, LA, Seattle are definitely very good teams. Um, and then you kind of have that tier of Dallas, San Jose, uh, Portland. I don't think Portland, I think Portland's best play is still ahead of them. Um, you know, Minnesota could surprise. I So I, I, I think fourth, fourth or fifth, but probably fifth is where I, I think I'd have them. All right, the final question for the interview for you then, Jonathan All. And this is a strange one to ask you because uh, normally when I have people on the show, I don't know them. I'm a little bit more, quote unquote, in character. But, you know, Jonathan All, St. Louis, you know, St. Louis City fan. Can we be best friends? (laughs) 
you know, it, it, look, I, I am a huge, I, I love City SC and I'm totally enjoying this and, and being and having a, a club nearby to support. But I will tell you, if the only way that we couldn't be best friends is if you were willing, if you have any, any good things to say about the franchise currently plying its trade at Milton Keynes, then the answer would be no. Um, other than that, yes, we can be better. I'll friends. do my research. I've always saved all of my vitriol for uh, Tottenham for reasons that we can get into another time. Oh, goodness. This has been rich. This has been enlightening. I can't tell you how much how much fun I've had because everything that I have basically said about St. Louis, you know, the primary focus thing is like everything I knew, everything I know, my noob nickname is not purely a, a character name just for fun. It really is my life. Person noob and I, you know, approach this with no knowledge of the game. And we have simply decided to try to uh, not just take a bite out of the apple, but eat the entire apple at once, swallow it whole, learning every top flight league in the world every major tournament in the world all at the same time. So when we have guests come on that actually know football, my knowledge goes up exponentially. I know the people that find this show based on the noob name have to be experienced something. And then even our veteran footy fans get to know a lot more about, you know, select clubs that may not be so high on their list, like St. Louis or like Wimbledon. So it has been a joy. Well, and I appreciate you for having me on to talk about the two things in football slash soccer that I can actually sound intelligent on. That's because... two more than I have, Jonathan. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm trying to think like like how many Premier League teams could I even name? And I like maybe seven. <laughs> and then I'd be like, I don't know. Okay, so asking you to help with a match of disappointed a little bit later on uh between two teams from uh, Myanmar is probably I'm probably gonna get rejected on that, aren't I? Yeah, I yes. Come I on, tell I, me I, everything I... you know about Shan United. <laughs> Um, there you go. That's oh, wait, it. that was the route of oh, that wait, that was the route of the week, Matt. Shan United is actually really good anyway, or at least for a barely mid-tier AFC club. Neither <laughs> here nor there. We're not here to talk about Myanmar or Burma, wherever else we want to talk it. Well, actually, that's what we do on this show, but I lost my train of thought. Totally fine. I found myself thinking about Cypriot football because the Tassos from the This Is Mappa uh, YouTube podcast. I, I now more you know, from his appearances. I know now know more about that league than oh the team I predicted uh, won and it was their first time in like ninety three years or in, in their existence of ninety three years. Eris uh, Limassol. So you know, let me add a third team out there for you if you need a Cypriot team. Eris, jump on the Eris Limassol bandwagon with me. <laughs> you know, it, it, between following an English team and an MLS team, I do have 12 months a year of football. Um, and with a little bit of, with some overlap, I think I'm good. At, I, I think it is taxing my brain capacity to keep track of those two sides. Well, you can, yeah. you, can you can always pop on Soccer New Brock in America, the most misnamed show in all of soccer podcasts, um, and get your fill of every you know every single league in the entire world. Oh, I remember the match of disappointed one. Now the yeah. voters voted in uh, the two last place teams in uh, French Polynesia this particular week. So we're going to learn all about TFC and Excelsior. Get excited, Jonathan! All. I, I always am. I always hey, am. they they play, you know, they get four points for a win down there. It's pretty exciting. Uh, it, it's inflation. 
<laughs> it's not inflation. All the French Global overseas inflation's territories getting out of hand. <laughs> all the French overseas territories play a four-two-one system on not a formation uh, on the uh, points for uh, wins, ties, and draws. You get a point just for showing up. If that's not worth learning about, I don't know what is. I, I wish my I, I I there's so many things in my life that I wish I got a point for showing up. <laughs> well, you move to French Polynesia. You don't even have to play defense down there. Some of those teams are scoring six, seven goals a game. I think the goalkeepers just sit and sip ginger ale on the sidelines. <laughs> it's it's the craziest statistical league to follow in the world. Go down a rabbit hole, you know, five minutes sometime. You know, I will morning. definitely do that. What's that? I will definitely do that. <laughs> All right, John, Jonathan All, thank you very much. And we hope that we can call on you again later on the season for uh, oh, either things do. English football, although their season's, of course, ending, but uh, more specifically, of course, for St. Louis City. Oh, I, I could talk at length about our summer signings, too. So, you know, keep my number. <laughs> Fair enough. Enjoy the rest of the show. Have a fabulous day. And thank you once again for joining us. Thanks for having me. Match number four. Our next match is known as the richest match on earth. And believe it or not, it doesn't even come from a top flight. It comes from the second division in England, because what could be more important than making it from the second division up to the first? So much TV money. So for newer fans, a little bit of an exclamation. Promotion relegation. You finish up high enough up in your league, you get promoted to the next level up. You get to change leagues. Well, the second division called the championship in England, the top two teams both get to automatically move up to the Premier League. Lots and lots of money in that. The third through sixth place teams have a little mini tournament at the end of the season to determine who will be the third and final team to move up. So the final in that match, richest match on the earth, because it can be said to be worth a quarter billion dollars to the club. And that's just if they avoid relegation the first year, even if they get sent straight back down after next year, it's, it is still a boon that is said to be worth over $130 million over three seasons. Just incredible. So your matchup is going to be for the regular season, number five, Coventry City versus number three, Luton Town. And they are going to play at the neutral site of Wembley Stadium in London. Uh, Luton finished 10 points ahead of Coventry in the regular season. The series between these two, Luton have had the advantage. Four, five, and one is the record that they have accrued. And as is our tradition, we'll start off with the home team on paper, Coventry. Uh, that is a city of 350,000 people in the West Midlands portion of the country, making it the 10th uh, biggest one in all of England. It's basically adjacent to Birmingham, if that helps out, if that's a little bit more famous. Economically, the area is still recovering from the loss of a lot of auto industry jobs uh, that started about 50 years ago. It's a very famous educational city, though. It has three sizable university there. I like their nicknames. They're known as the Singers, but it turned out it has nothing to do with uh, uh, being vocal. It's related to the fact that this was formed, I think, basically as a company team to the Singer Factory 100-plus years ago. A company called Sisu Capital uh, bought this club, saved them as a business. They were in danger of going under in the uh, mid-2000s. But then when they didn't have any immediate success, they quickly stopped investing very much money. So now they've got a new owner as of this year, a guy named Doug King. And boy, everybody must be loving him with the success they're having. 
From 1967 to 2001, this club was in the top flight in England uh, before it was called the Premier League. That is the only stretch for as long as it was that they've ever been in the top flight in their history. Only major trophy they've ever won was the FA Cup in 1987, and this makes me love them. They beat Tottenham 3-2. to Long-time listeners know how I feel about the Hotspur. Boo. Uh, they advanced to the final by beating Middlesbrough in the semifinal, one nothing on aggregate. They played home and away two-legged tie. During the regular season, their offense was in the top third of the league. Their defense was much better. They were top four, only gave up one goal per match on average. Key players to look for in this one. Uh, second best score in the league from Sweden, their striker, 21 goals for Victor uh, Jokeresh. He was also number one in the league in goals plus assists. He had 10 assists. He was most recently with uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, He's been linked to some other clubs. If this one moves up, though, I I wonder if some of these will fall out. Uh, West Ham will probably stay in the mix. Burnley as well, especially if Coventry loses. Everton, I believe they're going down, so I think they'll fall out of the running. They've also got the number one goalkeeper in the league in terms of clean sheets. He had 20 of them. That was Ben Wilson. He was also third best in save percentage. But the league MVP, unfortunately for them, is injured. They will not have the services of Gustavo Hamer, their central midfielder. So their next best player, who's probably just outside the top 10 of the league, is Ben Sheaf, plays the same position. He's much more defensively oriented, only two goals and two assists on the year. So if Coventry can control the pace, that makes me lean a little bit towards the fact this may not be a shootout. And now Luton Town. Luton is just 30 miles kind of north-northwest of London. It's in a conglomeration with a uh, town called Dunstable, and uh, together they have about 300,000 people. They are known as the Hatters, as the hat-making industry has been huge in this area all the way back uh, into the uh, 1600s. It started to fade a little bit in the 1930s, but it's still a big part of kind of the mini culture there, the microcosm there. They played in the first division from 1982 to 92, but then they had uh, a series of financial crises and they ended up dropping all the way down to the fifth division. So really just barely semi-pro. They advanced to the final over Sunderland three to two. They definitely rode the backs of their defense to get here. Top three in that regard, giving up less than a goal per match. Uh, Offense was a a little bit above average, no great shakes overall. The MVP for this team and one of the top three players in the league, in my opinion, striker Carlton Morris. 20 goals make him the third best scorer. He was also third best in goals plus assists. Uh, He's played for a lot of Division II clubs, maybe kind of yo-yo clubs. Biggest one he's probably ever played for is Norwich City. I believe he played for them when they were still in the Premier League. They've also got the second best goalkeeper in the league in terms of clean sheets. And hey, we've got a U.S. connection. This is where Ethan Horvath ended up. By the way, he's also uh, number seven in save percentage, has really good defense in front of him. Uh, He's near the bottom of the league in saves made, but also in goals conceded. So he's just not having to face as many shots as some goalkeepers. He is on loan here from Nottingham Forest, who it looks like are going to be dropping down. I believe he was, I want to say he was with a Belgian club two years ago, a top flight one. This is a guy who uh, may not be starting for the USMNT anytime soon, but he does have eight national team appearances under his belt. Match number five. 
One of our many trophy matches and another Saturday one takes us to Guatemala, where the top flight is called the Liga Nacional, one of the uh, many Latin American countries that divide their soccer year into two separate uh, mini seasons, or the word they would use is stages. Uh, Apertura and Clausura, they are in the closing or Clausura stage right now. The regular season is done. They're in the playoffs and they have reached the final where they play a home and away two-legged tie. And the match we're going to talk about is the second leg. So everything is on the line right now. By the way, give you a little perspective within the region in CONCACAF, our region of North Central America and the Caribbean. Uh, they are ranked as the number five league, according to CONCACAF. The top eight of the 12 teams in the league made the playoffs. Three of them will get to go to the new upcoming CONCACAF Central American Cup, which will be a feeder tournament to our big one, the CONCACAF Champions League. I believe that the two playoff winners from each stage will automatically get to go, as well as the best one that didn't win a stage. But take that with a grain of salt. I haven't seen a formal announcement yet. Your matchup for the regular season, number three, uh, Zela Hu versus number seven, Antigua, Guatemala. Uh, Guatemala, Antigua won the first leg 2-0. So even at home, Zela Hu have a, uh, have a big mountain to climb here. The series between these two in recent years has been very even. Zela Hu with the slightest of advantages, 14-13-12 record. This year, they won 1-3 on the road at Antigua. And then they just managed a 0-0 draw at home. That's all you're going to get out of me for this particular one, because this is the time of show. In fact, a little later. Uh, so I've been itching for this. We need to make a little quit. I got to be able to send person to college, you know, get a little ahead on the mortgage if I can, etc. To do that, we're going to gamble. And when we think about gambling, we cheat, by which I mean it is time for us to have a visit and a drug-aided or drug-addled vision from our 3,500-year-old in-house prognosticator, Noob Stradamus. What do you see, O oh mighty soothsayer? Greetings from the Thracian plains of Greece. Tis I, a soccer score you seek, literally and figuratively, Let's light this fire. <sighs> Sweet the burning lotus leaf. Once again, I travel through space and time. Whee! I arrive in the vision. At Zelahu, what you know as Quetzaltenango, home of your home club this match. And I'm in a graveyard. Something feels wrong, but not for the usual spooky reasons. I stand in front of the 100-year-old grave of Romani circus performer Vanushka. Theirs was a classic, truly tragic tale of forbidden love, the governor's son saw her performance and was smitten. The two fell in love that very night, but very publicly, walking arm in arm the, all the night. What does that sound? Like metal being rent? Even stranger, anyway. The governor learned, and the very next day stuffed his son on a ship to Spain where he would be forced to stay for years for his university studies. 
while his chaperones had to tear him away at the ship docks, it was the girl whose fate was worse. She stopped eating, wasted away, and died of her sadness. Here at her grave, for a century, locals have written poems and left flowers with the belief she would reunite them with their own lost loves. Great Scott! Super Achievers! Impossibly gargantuan coats! The club's their Lahu mascot come to horrible life! Chewing huge cans, devouring this holy cemetery! Getting high always has its risks, but this is too much! TOO MUCH! I force myself out of the vision, back to the waking world. Noob, let there be naught but scorn for these super-achievers of Zelalu. I pronounce curse on them. They will blow their leg one lead and lose two to three this day. I have seen. I have spoken. And I did not soil my robes. Ugh. Kitties figuratively beating at the door with their demands. A recap of last week's match as well. Okay, I think I can uh, do that. In fact, I had a plan. Match number one last week was a Saturday match for the second division in Mexico, the Liga de Expansión. Clausura playoff finals for that stage. Second leg of the home and away two-legged tie between number B for the regular season, Tapatio, and number four, Atletico Morelia. Tapatio, they had played extra, added extra time to get to a 2-2 draw because things were tied overall in aggregate before that, and that allowed Tapatio uh, to win their first title in 20 years. Congratulations, 4-3 on aggregate. Match number B, a critical match in the German Bundesliga, number one Bayern versus number three, RB Leipzig. Was Leipzig getting the big road upset 1-3. That now guarantees them a top four finish in a Champions League berth. Uh, Christopher Nkunku and uh, Dominic Zobosly had goals for Leipzig, as we said to look out for. No change in the table, but with the Dortmund win, they now control the title race. They control their own fate. Did they break uh, the Bayern streak of like, I don't know, uh, 85 million uh, league titles in a row, it seems like. Match number three from the Premier League in Kazakhstan, number BFC Astana, took on number one, uh, Kizilkar Petrov. Pavlovsk, and they played, uh, let's see, I was going to say to a draw, but that's not right. Astana got a 3-2 win in the shootout. The goal, the game-winning goal came in the 97th minute, and they switched positions in the table. We have a new leader, the traditional team from Astana. Match number four from Africa's Champions League semi-final, leg two of the home and away two-legged tie between Mambaloni Sundowns and team new favorite, Wide at Casablanca. Those are out of South Africa and Morocco, respectively. And it was Wide playing to a 2 2 draw. And that means they finished on aggregate 2 2. But since they got their goals on the road, Wide advanced on the away goal tiebreaker. They still use that there. By the way, guy we said to look out for, uh, Mamelodi Sundowns player Peter Shalolile. He had a goal. Match number five for the Erev Newly, the top flight in Georgia. Number B, Sangarali Tubo took out number one Dynamo Batumi. They played to a 1 1 draw. No change in the table there. Match number six from the Premier Division of South Africa. Number seven, Sekukune United took out number three, Super Sport United. And 
It was Sekakuni getting the home slight upset 1-0. No change in the table there. But the reason that one was so important last match of the season, that means for sure that Supersport did not finish in the top two and get a Champions League berth. They will go to the secondary African tournament next year, the Confederation Cup. Match number seven from the Oceania Football Confederation Champions League group stage. Number three, Solomon Warriors took on number B, Suva, out of Solomon Islands and Fiji, respectively. And it was Suva, the Capital City Boys, from Fiji getting a nil two win. They advance on to the knockout stage. Sunday, match number eight from the Costa Rican Primera División Clausura final. Saprisa and Alaferense, two of the historical big three there. Saprisa got one nil win, but it's Alaferense on the backs of a big first like win taking the title on aggregate one to three congratulations to them wednesday match number nine the croatian fa cup final between traditional power high duke split and last place at the top flight shibanek shibanek was not going to be able to go to international competition because of licensing issues anyway but nevertheless it was high duke split getting the two nil two nil win and they will get to play in the Europa Conference League next season with that trophy. Match number 10 from the U.S. Open Cup, round of 16, Division II, USL champion side. Uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, they got to play host to Columbus Crew out of Major League Soccer, and both surviving Division II sides actually got wins. Pittsburgh Riverhounds, they got a uh, Riverhounds, they got a 1-0 win. They will next go to Cincinnati for a quarterfinal match of another Ohio team for them. And now your three bonus matches with explanations coming on, coming later on from the Belarusian Premier League number one, Dynamo Minsk, taking a number 13, Energetic BGU, and it was the top of the table team, Dinamo, getting the win 2-0. Vladislav Morosov had a goal. Guy was said to look for. Energetic now dropped from second to last into last place. The most meaningless match in the world was the Sunday match from uh, the Swedish gals top flight, the Damos Venskan Liga. Number eight, IFK uh, Nordshopping took on number seven, uh, Vitro GIK. It looks like Vitzio or Vitzjo. Very difficult. Uh, it was Vitro winning one to two on the road. A little bit of an upset there. Uh, Yota Rontala had the game-winning goal. That moves their team up to number six. Still pretty meaningless. And finally, your most disappointing match in the world was a Friday match for the Austrian Bundesliga bottom two sides. Number 11, Reed took on number 12, Reindorf Altak. And it was Altak getting a nil-one. Mildly surprising win. No change in the table there, and that's no surprise. They continue to be incredibly disappointing. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into looking at the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. I don't know about you, but I feel like that that one came with a little bit of bias, that prediction. That's all right. Gamble wisely, or better still, not at all, based on his anger predictions. All right, match number six. This is the last of our Saturday matches. We're headed off to yet another confederation, this time to the OFC, the Oceania Football Confederation. Their Champions League is going on, just like in Europe and other places, and they have reached their final. Auckland City out of New Zealand, taking on Suva out of Fiji, played at the neutral site in uh, Vanuatu. That's where the whole thing has been held. The winner will get to go to the FIFA Club World Cup and probably lose in the first round because it's none of these teams are professional. Still, it's important where it's being played, and by gosh, that puts it on our radar. Auckland City. A fairly young club, which I hadn't realized, even though I've talked about them before, founded in 2004. 
And yet in 2014, they got all the way to the semifinals of the FIFA Club World Cup and won the bronze medal match. They are the only team from this confederation to ever have gotten that far, even back when Australia was in this. Yeah. Uh, They've won the league championship already nine times. That's the regular season. And then they have won 10 straight premierships. That is the playoff champion, just like Australia. They have different names for both of those things. They've won the OFC Champions League title 10 different times, and they are your defending champions. They advanced to this round over, surprising to me, Ethera Blackbird out of Van, uh, Vanuatu. Admittedly, the home team, a little bit of advantage. And really, Auckland City had a tough time with them. They only beat them on uh, penalty kicks. 2-2 was the final score in uh, regular and added extra time. Then they had to beat them 5-4 in penalty kicks. Key player to look for in this one, uh, tied for second best in event scoring with three is Emiliano Tade from Argentina, veteran, 35 years old, plays forward for them. I also know that the last couple of seasons he has been or in the process of being their uh, team's leading scorer in league as well. Biggest club he's played for, he's bounced around the Southern Hemisphere quite a bit, probably uh, Mamelodi Sundowns, one of the very best South African teams. Tell you a little bit about the league. It is rated number one in the OFC. That's the New Zealand National League. And last year, this team won it over Wellington Olympic on head-to-head tiebreaker. Wellington Olympic actually had the better goal differential. And last year, they were tied for second best across the board, offense, defense, and in goal differential. Their defense is pretty good, but I think the offense is where their bread is buttered a little bit more. They get more than two goals per match on average in league play. Team's current form, 11-3-0. Their last loss, in fact, was way back in the last FIFA Club World Cup when they lost to African Giants Al-Ali. No shame in that. And now Suva out of Fiji. Uh, It's a club that was founded in 1905. They are known as the Capital City Boys, as Suva is the nation's capital. They've won their domestic league title four different times. Last time was 2020. They advanced to this final over French Polynesian Giants Piray, one of the two or three best there perennially, uh, two to four and added extra time in Tahiti. By the way, the National League in Fiji, that's also what they call their top flight. It's ranked number four in the OFC. Currently, they're in fifth place in their league, but they've got two matches in hand on everybody else, so they're really probably in the top three in the league. They certainly are in points per game. Uh, Prediction on this, it would be very easy to say Auckland City. New Zealand have been the Giants, most especially after Australia joined the uh, AFC, the Asian Football Confederation, I believe in 2009. But given that they struggled with Vanuatu, I think anything is possible in this one. Match number seven. Whoopsie, I was mistaken. One more Saturday match to go. We head back to Central America, specifically Panama. The top flight is abbreviated as the LPF. Their calendar runs a little bit different. Uh, They use the calendar year the same as their soccer year. So they are in the apertura or opening stage of their season. And they, too, are in the playoff final. By the way, this is the number seven ranked league in all of CONCACAF. They, too, will get three berths into the new CONCACAF Central American Cup. Domestically, the top three of each of their two six-club groups got to make the playoffs. Your matchup from the West, number one, Independiente, versus number three from the East, Toro. Independiente, uh, they only played once during the regular season, I believe, and Independiente only managed a draw nil-nil. 
Independiente, they are known as uh, the abejitas, the little bees. I love unique mascots like that. Uh, they are from La Chorrera. Chorrera. Ooh, for some reason hard to say for me today. That's less than 20 miles southwest of Panama City, the capital, of course. City of about oh, 175,000, maybe. They were in the second division as recently as 2017, but this isn't their first stretch in the top flight. 2019, though, they made their only appearance in the CONCACAF Champions League. They did make it all the way to the quarterfinals. They've actually won four top flight titles in their history. The last time was the 2022 Clausera. They won the Western group by three points over Herrera. Herrera beating them would have been a real upset. I don't remember really talking about them a lot before. Their defense was good. The offense was great. They were number one in that category by a lot in the West. They were the only team getting over two goals per match. They had the number one goal differential. What makes this team so tough is there's no one player you can try to stop. They have three players on their starting squad who all got four goals each here in this particular stage. They advanced to the final, by the way, over another perennial powerhouse, actually, Three to one on aggregates, so somewhat convincingly over at Plaza Amador. And now, probably your favorites, even on the road, and even though they finished only third, just because of their, uh, you know, their historical dominance, Toro. Uh, they play out of the capital, Panama City, and as you would guess by the way I'm pronouncing the name, yes, they are known as the Bulls. They have won the most league titles in the nation's history. Sixteen last time was the 2021 Clausura stage title. 2018, they made the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal. That is their most recent international appearance, uh, at least in that level of event, and that is the best that they've ever done out of maybe a half dozen or so appearances. Uh, they beat out number four in the East, Deportivo del Este, by two points for the last playoff spot, and yet here they are in the final. Offense was okay, at least for their group, but they really weren't scoring even a goal per match. Their defense is a little bit better. They're top three in that regard and give up uh, well under a goal per match. Key player to look for on the offensive side, what little they will get uh, will probably come at the feet of uh, Brady Golutz from Colombia. He had five goals in the regular season. Uh, the last club he played for before coming here was a Venezuelan big club called uh, Carabobo. Big for Venezuela, but Venezuela is not one of your stronger South American powers in general. They advanced to this final over San Miguelito in the semis, two to four on aggregate. Match number eight. And alas, we get to flip the calendar to Sunday. Match number eight. Central America. Once again, it's that time of year for them. This time we skip over a border to Honduras for the Liga Nacional Clausera final. This is the third ranked league in CONCACAF currently, not Costa Rica the way it's been for a very long time. The top six out of the 10 teams in this league made the domestic playoffs, just like the other two. Once again, three teams will probably get to go to the CONCACAF Central American Cup from this league. Your matchup for the Clausera final, number one, CD Olympia, Versus number B, Olancho FC. But once again, that's all you're going to get out of me for this particular one because it is time for Aminos, Aminos, Aminos from around the world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, indeed. So we're going to look at an animal from this part of the world. What are we going to talk about? The giant anteater. And why are we going to talk about it? Because its status is? Vulnerable. Yeah, so it's not quite endangered, but it's getting to that area. I will tell you that from my own notes, I know that it's extinct in some areas. 
used to be able to find this thing all the way as far north maybe as Mexico, uh, like Sonora, uh, to as far south as basically south uh, southwest South America. But there's a lot of areas where it is not found anymore, where it is extinct. But other areas, like Honduras, which is about as far north as it's found, uh, where it's still you know doing okay-ish. So tell us, what kind of animal is the anteater? Um, it's, uh, most of the time it's classified as a sloth. I was really surprised to see that too, a sloth. It's, it's a almost shaggy animal. It's got a really, really bushy tail. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, now most anteaters live in trees. Where does this one live? On the ground. Wow. Probably cause it's just so big, you know, cause it's giant and stuff. It can still climb though. How big do these bad boys and girls get? Um, about six to 7.5 feet long. And 80 to 90 pounds on average. They sound like they make a great pet. Yeah. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, Tell us some more about how they look, how they're built. Um, they have a very, uh, they have a very elongated snout, a bushy tail, huge for huge foreclaws that can ward off jungle predators, and and distinctly patterned fur that serves as, as a warning to predators. Yeah, like like the huge four claws wouldn't be enough. I mean, they're big enough that they can scare off jaguars and uh, pumas, but they've also got to have this weird fur to say, hey, don't mess with me. I would think you just show them the big giant claws and the fact that I'm like 85 pounds. <laughs> I would think that that would be enough to uh, scare one of those animals off. All right, uh, tell us a little bit more about what you've learned in your research. Uh, they have poor eyesight, but the smell, but their smell is forty times better than the humans. Oh, like they smell really, really nice, like they're cologne or perfumed. No. I, I'm kidding. It's a, it's a joke. I would claim that it was funny in my head, but even that's not true. Go on. Uh, they walk on their front knuckles, which is similar to a chimp or a gorilla. Um, oh wow! Uh, their jaw basically opens. Um, uh, the jaw basically opens enough to let a round fleck out. Um, the, f- uh, the food is, um, the food is ground up in similar fashion to a chicken's gizzard and the tongue comes out a foot and a half. Holy smoke. So they don't really have a, a, a mandible or jaw in the traditional way that we do. It just opens a little bit. The tongue can come out and a foot and a half. Can you imagine? It's like, it's not attached to anything. They just, boo, and it's covered with sticky stuff to get all those ants. It's not here in the research, but you know what I picked up somewhere? Thirty thousand ants or other insects per day is what they can go to in a typical day. A single one of these animals might visit two hundred termite holes, and it's a sloth. It doesn't move that quickly. That means that it's using all its awake time, basically, to do this sort of uh, uh, hunting. Feels like too strong a word, but uh, foraging, I guess you know, for insects. Because other than little fruit, that's all they pretty much eat. Tell us about some of the threats. Why are these not doing so well in some areas? Uh, destruction of habitat and vehicle collisions. And then anything else? Um, oh, well, in part of South America, uh, it's used to make um, equestrian equipment. Uh, they use the this, this skin to make stuff for horses to play like polo or something. That's not good. We need to save these animals. Save the animals. Yeah, can I, I'm not sure I even want to eat the animals like I normally do. After that, that last part made me kind of sad. 
vehicle collisions should make me just as sad, but them getting their hides getting used to make equestrian equipment made me the most sad. So there are lots of nature preserves all over Central and South America. You can use your Google machine powers to figure out where you can donate to help these little cuties out. And they are very weird. I'll tell you about some of the pictures I saw. I mean, think about a foot and a half, the tongue, and it just hangs loose. Just they kind of drop it down. It's not like it's solid, like it shoots out like an arrow. It just blah, goes down, you know, into the hole, very, very limp, <laughs> and then gets sucked back up really, really fast. Yeah, and the animal has to swallow constantly to get through 30,000 bugs in a day. That's all it's doing the whole time is just continuously swallowing. So thank you very much for telling us all about the vulnerable status giant anteater. This has been Aminos from around the world. Oh, yeah. E. Match number nine. Our last weekend match takes us back to Europe to the first Division A. Feels a little redundant, doesn't it? That's the top flight of Belgium, which is the eighth-ranked league in UEFA. They'll get to send two teams to the Champions League. Neither one will get to start in the event proper, though. One will have to start in the playoff round, which comes right before the group stage. Their runner-up will have to start two matches back in the second qualifying round. They'll also send somebody to the Europa League and to the Europa Conference League. Two matches remain in the regular season, and it's a very interesting season there, the way they set up uh, their league breakdown and schedule. They play a regular season double round robin, and then rather than divide the league into two the way some countries, but not all do, they actually have their top four play a double round robin, and then their next four, numbers five through eight, have their own double round robin. The winner of that will get the Europa Conference League berth. Additionally, when they join uh, when they join their respective groups at the end of the regular season, they cut their points in half and round up. That way, if anybody's running away with things, suddenly the race looks a lot closer. And it can't get any closer than this. These two teams are tied right now in the table on points. Talking about number one, Royal Antwerp, and they are taking on playing host to number B, Union Saint-Gioie. Uh, Royal Antwerp, they lead... Uh, Union by four on goal differential is all. Uh, the two of them lead third place Jenk by three. So Jenk are not out of it yet by any means. Series between these two has been mostly Royal Antwerp, a two to one advantage, really eight, three and four on the record this season. When they played Antwerp one on the road, nil two uh, Union one, two Oh, and then at their own place, Antwerp got a 4-2 win in a shootout. Will we see another one of those? Also, uh, Antwerp beat them in the FA Cup 1-1 on aggregate, 4-3 on penalty kicks. It's becoming quite the little rivalry this year. Row Antwerp. Antwerp is in the north-central part of the country. Uh, Metro's got about 1.2 million. It makes it the second biggest one in the country. Uh, North Central, that means it's in the Flemish region. This area is famous for anything. It is as a world center of the diamond trade, and it is a major port as well. It is also the oldest club in the country. It actually predates the FA's existence by 15 years. The stadium they're playing at, which has been undergoing a major renovation for about the last six years, is the Boswil Stadion, uh, their home ground since 1923. So happy 100th birthday to that structure, I guess. They've won four league titles the last time, 1956-57. Yeah, it's been a minute. Uh, 
Uh, the last four years they've been appearing in European competitions. Those are the only ones since the early 1990s, 2020, 2020, 21 season. There we go. Uh, Europa League, they finished uh, in the round of 32. And that's the best they've ever done in those. This year, they got to go to the Europa Conference League and they lost in the playoff round. They finished in third place in the regular season, so they're outdoing themselves here in the Champions round now. Uh, they finished three points behind uh, Union and Genk. Last year, they finished in fourth place. That's why they got to go to the Europa Conference League. Uh, this year, the offense is serviceable, but they've got the number one defense, at least in the regular season, and by a lot. They were only giving up about three-quarters of a goal on average, and they were the only one giving up less than a goal per match on average. Got some great key players to look for. Uh, number one in accurate passing with 60 per game on average. That is a lot of touches. Even better center back, 21-year-old from Ecuador, William Pacho. He has already signed a contract. Eintracht Frankfurt uh, from the Bundesliga in Germany uh, is giving this team a pile of money, and William will be going over there next year. Number one goalkeeper uh, by a lot in terms of clean sheets is uh, Jean Boutet, who I just want to call Jean Booty for some reason. Uh, he is from France, neither here nor there on that. I know Jean Booty. I liked it. Uh, he's also second best in save percentage in the league. And we have a USA connection, 23-year-old defender Sam Vines, who came over here last year from Colorado Rapids. This is a guy who has nearly reached double digits in U.S. men's national team appearances. Team's current form, their nil-two loss at number four club uh, Brugge, snapped an eight-match win streak for them. So they've been in pretty good form. And now Union St. Gilles, they play in the Brussels capital region of the country. They were, when they were originally formed, they actually played in the district of, uh, or town of uh, St. Gilles, but now they play in a neighboring one simply called Forest. All 11 league titles they've ever earned were in the first third of the 20th century. 2021-22 season was the first time they had been back to Division I in almost 50 years. Last year was their first ever Champions League appearance. Uh, they lost in the third qualifying round, but then they made it all the way to the Europa League's uh, quarterfinals. So here they are again, making sure that last year was not a fluke. Uh, again, they finished runners-up last year. This year, the defense has been okay. The offense has been great. Second best in that regard, getting over two uh, goals per game on average. The league's best player, in my opinion, and he's second best in assists from Malta, of all places, uh, Teddy Tayuma. He's the only guy from Malta outside of the Maltese Premier League that I think I've ever gotten to mention. But he's injured. Sorry about that. Tied for number one in successful tackles per game is Cameron Puertas from Switzerland, by central midfielder for them. It's a very physical team, by the way, as well. They've got two guys that are tied for number one in the league at 11 apiece in yellow cards. I don't get to, I don't have reason to look at that stat very often, but that was fun to see uh, a couple of guys from the same team at the very top in that way. Team's current form, they are 2-1-0 in their last three, and they just had a uh, a road draw 1-1 at Jenk. And match number 10. We're done. Finally. Yes, finally, daughter dearest. And we get finally to a match that is not on the weekend. Wednesday is the Europa League final in Budapest. The winner will get an automatic berth into the Champions League next year, no matter how they do in their domestic top flight. And 
your combatants are Sevilla from Spain versus Roma from Italy. Boy, the Italians put five teams in the semifinals for all three of the uh, European Club International events. That that country's top flight has just had a whale of a postseason. But since we've been talking about these teams quite a bit all year long, and I'm overdue, you could probably even hear it. Noobs, Tumbly is getting a little rumbly like a poo bear, but it's not honey that we're going to have for our culture break. We've got something else in store, but yes, once again, it's not going to be our architecture, mythology, folklore. We are going to have a recipe and we're going to get it not from either of the cities where the teams are from, but rather we found something interesting in Budapest. This is not something that is eaten with any regularity in homes or restaurants. You most commonly find it at festivals now, but it takes more than the occasional adventurous eater to eat them. They make them in these huge, like, five or six foot diameter pans that are just glorious to look at. And it's called, I'm not sure of the pronunciation of the first word, but I'm going to get the second one right, I think. Uh, Kakasher, uh, that's K-A-K-A-S-H-E-R-E. Kakasher uh, Porcolette. Porcolette, and it's not pork. pork. <laughs> Let me try it again. Kakasher Porcolette. Rooster Testicle Stew. Yeah. I probably should have warned you. Feel free to fast forward a minute or two if you want. Here's what you're going to need for this bad boy. Three tablespoons. Well, I won't give you the measurements. You can look up your own recipe. But you're going to need oil or lard, a large diced onion. You're going to want some minced garlic, a Hungarian paprika, not the real spicy kind. You want to go to want the sweet kind that is common outside the country this particular times. Uh, the rooster balls, of course, cleaned, it says here. <laughs> Who's going to eat dirty rooster balls? I mean, come on. Uh, you're going to want, uh, you can use water or dry red wine. I would suggest the latter for this. Uh, salt to taste, a couple of green peppers you're going to dice up. Same thing for tomatoes. Instructions. Heat up your oil or lard in a large pan, add in the onions. That gets cooked over a low heat until the onions are soft and nearly transparent. Add in the garlic, cook it for another minute, then you sprinkle on that sweet paprika. Stir it quickly, otherwise that sweet paprika will burn and then it won't matter that you use the sweet kind at all. Then you're gonna add the rooster testicles and cook over a high heat, take about six minutes typically, until they are browned. Then you either add in your water or wine, what I would prefer, and the salt. Continue cooking. Now you back the heat down again to low until the uh, meat <laughs> gets tender. Uh, this can take between 20 and 25 minutes. <laughs> I love this part of the instructions. When the testicles are nearly done, add the pepper slices and diced tomatoes and cook for 10 to 15 more minutes. You would have to Google up how exactly to know when testicles are done. I've never cooked rooster or any other variety before. I don't know what shade of brown they're looking for. Uh, or if you want, it says here, you can cook it if you're not sure until it reaches the consistency of a thick sauce. You're going to be burning off or boiling off, I should say, a lot of that water or the wine. Then you're going to add, want to add more salt and pepper if you need to. And then you will be having kakashir porkowelt. You're welcome, I think. Bring forth the bonus matches. First and foremost, thank you so much to everybody on Twitter who follows us at Soccer Noob USA or found our polls in one way or another and this show and voted for all the candidates in these three unique bonus matches. The first one is a first versus last place matchup from somewhere in the world we dramatically call the... 
route, 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 of, 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 the week, 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 week. And we're off to the Asian Confederation for the first time this show. The National League of Myanmar is the destination. It's a little bit below average. It's ranked number 28 in the AFC. Their winner does not get to go to the Champions League. Once you get that far down into the rankings, the teams, uh, even the champions, just go to the secondary tournament, the AFC Cup. Two of the 12 teams at the end of the season will get relegated. Equally relevant since this is first versus last place. They're only five matches into the season. So there's plenty of time for uh, destinies to change here. But so far, number 12, Kachin United versus number one, Shan United. That's the matchup. Uh, Shan United, they currently lead number B, Yangon United by three in the table. Uh, Kachin United, meanwhile, they trail number 10, two spots up, the lowest point of safety, Miyawadi, by three points. Let's talk about the last place team first. Kachin United, they play out of the city of uh, Mitkina. And I want to, I think I stretched out the pronunciation long enough. I believe in that language that it's important to uh, the vowel length means something. Mitkina. Anyway, it's the capital of the Kachin province, uh, population well over 200,000 in the north. It's a very agriculturally oriented area, but it's also very well known for its jade or specifically jadeite mining. Uh, jadeite is very popular in China, and it's a big part of the reason that they basically have tried to make claims before to the northern half of this particular province. The club was founded in 2014, I think, they finished in fourth place in the second division last year. What I know for sure is that the top two teams were ineligible for promotion. One was a reserve team and one was a university team, I believe. So the two that got promoted, it stands to reason we're in third and fourth place. Currently, this is one of only two winless teams at this early point in the season. Uh, their offense is, well, non-existent. They haven't scored a goal yet. They've got the number nine defense giving up Two goals per match. Team's current form, uh, it's been all losses since match day one. They haven't gotten a point yet. Now, Shan United. They are known as the Mountain Boys, a club that was founded in 2003. They play out of the city of Tonji, which is the capital of the Shan State. About 400,000 people there. It's the fifth biggest metro in the country. You'll find it in the east central part on the map. Uh, there's no industry really here to speak of. It is all agriculture and tourism. You've got a ski resort, I believe, over there with the mountain, I think I read, as well as a big lake that it might be on the shore of. They've won four league titles and are your league defending champions, in fact. They played in the Champions uh, the Champions League one time. They must have been high enough in the coefficients. They won the preliminary, or they played in the preliminary round, the very, very, very first qualifying round in 2018 and didn't get any farther than that. 2021 AFC Cup, they made the group stage, and that is tied for the best that they ever done. That's also their most recent AFC international appearance. They're the only undefeated team in the league, and they have, in fact, a perfect 5-0-0 record. Uh, the defense is certainly good, but the offense, they're number one in that regard by a lot, getting over three goals per match. Number one league scorer is there as the boast of. He has six, and that is Lynn Hattet So. Tied for number one in assists with a couple on the years so far is Hattet Fio Y. He is a winger, 23 years old. And he it would be known to international fans potentially because he has made over 20 
uh, national team appearances for Myanmar since 2018. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. (laughs) All right, y'all are real funny. I know there's at least one of you, and I suspect more, who like to vote for the ones that are hardest for me to pronounce or learn to pronounce. That is just fine. I am possibly... Up for the challenge. The most meaningless match in the world for those who are new is from a top flight league somewhere in the world, and it involves two teams that are more or less smack dab in the middle of the table. Better said, they are equidistant from the top positions where they would earn international berths to things like Champions Leagues, but they are also a very safe distance from the bottom. The relegation zones where they would be kicked out. They are just chilling in Netflix. Is that even still a thing? I'm not sure. The one you have voted for is a Sunday match. Yeah, from Kazakhstan. Thanks. It's the 30th ranked league in all of uh, Europe. Their champion gets to go to the first qualifying round of the Champions League. The two teams that they send to the Europa Conference League will start in the second and first qualifying rounds, respectively. The other end of the table, two of the 14 teams will get relegated, and these two squads don't have to worry about any of that more than likely. Now, they're not even halfway through the season, but it still seems a pretty safe bet that we won't be hearing again in any overly good or bad ways from number nine, Ogjetbes, versus number eight, Tobol. I think I might have gotten that close to right. Tobol lead Ogjetbes by uh, three and trail number three, Ordabasi, by 12. Uh, now, Ogjetpes, they lead number 11, Aksu, by seven, and the number three and the number 11 spots, of course, represent international berths and relegation spots. So you can see they've got plenty of margin on either side. All right, let's talk about Ogjetpes first. Uh, the club is actually a really, has a really cool name. It means arrow that will not reach. It's the name of a nearby cliff. I didn't catch if this was uh, sort of a legend or a myth or if this was something real. I kind of gather it's the latter. Uh, there was a ruler in the 1600s in this area who had uh, taken a number of prisoners and could not decide which warrior to give a particular captive girl to for a wife. So he decided to let her choose. She, in the story, climbs to the top of the cliff and says, whoever can shoot her shawl, with a bow and arrow, of course, uh, will uh, be, you know, she will make that person uh, her husband. And a number of people try and nobody can. So the club is actually the first one I've ever run across that's named after a cliff. But what a cool backstory on it. The actual city they play out of is Kokshatau. Uh, I'm less certain of that pronunciation, really couldn't find it anywhere on the fly. I can tell you that it's the 10th biggest city in the country in the north central part, uh, 150,000 people strong. It's largely a tourist town these days. The name of the city, it's another cool one. It names uh, it means Bluish Smoky Mountain. So you've got a ski resort there, and I know that is on a lake as well there at the border, more or less. Footy-wise, they got to play in the 2009-2010, I believe it was Europa League, after finishing in eighth place. Uh, A bunch of teams above them had all been denied UEFA licenses, uh, probably for, I was going to say a variety of reasons, but usually I think that has to do with uh, stadium condition and capacity. So even though they've never finished terribly high in the top flight, they did get to play in a Europa League. Uh, in a European international tournament once. 
Last year, they were in the second division and won it. So good on them for climbing to a state of meaninglessness. Usually we find them in the uh, third and final bonus match, which if you're new, you'll find out what that is momentarily. Uh, This year, they're kind of playing small ball in order to stay up. They've only got the 10th best offense, but their defense is top four in the league. Uh, They're only giving up a little bit over one goal per match. We should expect them to be able to stay here throughout the season, barring any serious catastrophes as far as injuries or leadership changes. Their team leading score has three goals on the season. That is Serdan Dimitrov. Uh, He is a Serbian midfielder. Team's current form, it's not great. Uh, 0-2 and 3, and they haven't scored any goals in their last three. So they need Dimitrov or somebody to step up and, you know, you know, get a couple of goals every three games if they're to hold this position. Meanwhile, a name I'm a little bit more familiar with, the uh, visitors, Tobol uh, Costone. Uh, Tobol is the name of a river, and then uh, Costone, I believe, is the name of the city. The administrative center of the region of the same name. Yeah, so it is both the region and the town. Well, town is not the right word. It's well over 200,000 people, also in the north-central part of the country, but a fair bit further west than uh, Cochetau, just to give you some geographical perspective. They've won the league title twice, and in fact, most recently, just two years ago. And internationally, they've had a bit of success. They won something called the Intertoto Cup in 2007, the last or one of the very last years of its existence. It's essentially one of the precursor tournaments to what is now the Europa League. All the teams that would have... uh, uh, entered the Europa League in the uh, qualifying rounds these days from the smaller countries played in this one. They've been to the Champions League before as well, but they've never won a match the, there. This year, they played in the tertiary tournament, the Europa Conference League, uh, started in the second qualifying round, won there, but then lost in the next qualifying round. Last year, they finished in third place. That's how they qualified for the ECL. Statistically, this year, they are who they are. Uh, You know, top seven offense and defense, eighth on goal differential. They do have a really good guy on offense. Uh, The second best scorer in the league with six goals so far is, uh, I was was about to say asshat, but it's A-S-K-H-A-T. Longtime uh, listeners or even readers of the blog will understand the inside joke for the asshat thing. Uh, Askat Tagi Bergen, he is a central midfielder, native. Team's current form, their recent win snapped an 0-2-4 stretch. So neither of these teams is exactly entering red hot. And now it is time to cover two sad sack bottom feeders that one or both may well get relegated to the end of the year. This is the match of Disappointed! And you've made an interesting choice. It, it's really, it goes against my nature to want to absolutely dog on teams from Tahiti. Maybe that's the reason you picked it, not for them to get dogged on, because, but just because it's nice to hear about and Think about French Polynesia. All right, fine. Uh, This is a Wednesday match. The top flight there is called League One. It is the fifth-ranked one, so right in about the middle of the Oceania Football Confederation League coefficients. Like all of the other overseas territories for France, they do something very interesting uh, for scoring. And I don't mean in the game, but I mean in points in the table. Wins are worth four. Each team, if there's a draw, gets two points and you get one point just for showing up. I have never been able to find out what it is they're trying to test, if anything, uh, why they've kind of changed the math and the proportions on this, but it sure is nice to see somebody doing something different.
The top two finishers in this league, they get to vie for a Champions League berth. On the more relevant end of the table, one will get relegated, one will get to fight for their top five lives at the end of the year against a second division also ran in what's called a relegation playoff match. Now this year, the league split in half after they played just a single round robin, and now each of the two groups are playing a double round robin, the championship and the relegation rounds, as they're called. And there's just two matches left in each. Your matchup, uh, Woeful. I I don't want to pick on him and give him the business. They're from Tahiti, man. Just seems like it's a great way to build up bad juju. Number 11, TFC, uh, playing host to number 12, last place, Excelsior. TFC currently lead them by one. Uh, They both trail, or rather, they trailed number 10, Olympic Machina, by eight on goal differential. So they're tied on points. But it is worth noting that uh, Olympic Mahina do have a match in hand on both. So advantage them. It's still very likely that these two will finish in the bottom two positions. Uh, TFC are a club that were founded in just 2015. The full name is A.S. Tayarapu. So it's Tayarapu Football Club. The name of the town they play uh, out of is very similar, uh, Tayarapu West. It's a southwest commune on the island country, about 10,000 people there. They play in one of those cool French Polynesian named, uh, you know, Pacific Island named stadium words, uh, Stade Teahupo'o, I think it's going to be. It's got an apostrophe in there between the two O's. I can't say for sure. It's hard to find a lot of information on French Polynesian football. I suspect that they were in Division uh, Two unless they took a year off at the latter part of COVID, because I know they weren't in the top flight last year. I suspect they got promoted after finishing at or near the top. They finished the regular season in ninth place, so they've slipped a little bit since then. And that's exactly where they were statistically the end of the regular season, in ninth on offense and defense. Teams current form, they're 2-0-2 in their last four, but they haven't kept a clean sheet in their last 13 matches. Now, I say that as if that's the world's worst thing, but uh, go down a little uh, rabbit trail sometime and look up some stats on Tahitian football. I don't think they play a goalkeeper. There are teams giving up and scoring six, seven, eight, nine goals per game on average, not just, you know, not just infrequently, but occasionally. It is really something to look at their table for goals for and goals against. Now, Excelsior, they play out of the capital city of Papite. Uh, not to be confused, by the way, uh, with A.S. Excelsior in Reunion. No, 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 no. We wouldn't want you to mix up the South Pacific with the Indian Ocean team over there in a different French Sea territory. That would be catastrophic. You've never heard of it. Actually, neither had I until just now. Uh, they won the second division in 2019-2020, but they don't. Uh, this is not their first time in the top flight. They've actually won seven Division I league titles, but their halcyon days are long behind them. They won their last top flight trophy in 1988. Last year, they finished in 11th place, so I believe they would have had to win a relegation playout match to stay up. They finished the regular season in 11th place, so they're just treading water right now. They've got the worst offense, not even averaging two goals every three matches. They're a real rarity uh, here in the French Polynesian Islands. Team's current form, their win two matches ago was their first one since mid-November last season. Ouch. Now that sounds like a really outrageously bad team that we can pick on at least a little bit. Uh, do more better, 
or something like that. And I got to work on my trash talking. But at the very least, instead of wishing them good luck and good fortune here at the end of the show, we will do as we always do and shoo them away in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo. Boo. And that is all she wrote for episode 137 of Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. Even though she wasn't in the room, I found out that Person Noob uh, heard me doing the recipe segment. She didn't think it was particularly gross at all, just a little bit weird. But it turns out that's because when I was talking to her off mic, well, we discovered that there's a linguistic term for this that I don't know that tentacles, she kept saying, oh, yeah, you're talking about squid feet. And rooster testicles were the same thing. So we nearly went from Soccer New Brock in America to some sort of really bizarre sex ed class. Like it would have been strange even for Florida. Yeah, uh, not good times, bad times. We left it at good times instead, but I just had to share. Thank you to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry. To Dan the Interno Inferno, whose creative efforts are forever and always on fire. To my daughter, Person Noob, wow. And thank you very much for everything that you do for the show. And thank you to you for listening. We hope that you have found us a really fun uh, change of pace from a lot of the soccer podcasts, which are great that are out there. But we strive to do something truly unique. And we hope you'll pass this along to your footy-minded friends. Until we can do it again in a few days, have yourself a fabulous footy week. Take care.